Faith is one of those topics. It's kind of like vision. Uh, Rick Warren, I remember years ago, came out with a great book, uh, Purpose Driven Church. Later, he came out with A Purpose Driven Life, which was amazing. But before that, several years, in fact, it was back in the 90s, he came out with The Purpose Driven Church. And in that book, he talked about this idea that in, in a church culture, and a church life, you need to cast the vision and clarify the vision once every 30 days, at least. Because, you know, we assume, you know, like leaders in the church, you know, we talk about it all the time, so, but we assume everybody is thinking on the same page, but really we're not. And so that's one of his contentions. That we've got to do that every 30 days. Well, I believe faith is the same thing and some of the greater themes in the Scripture. We know that, that it was by faith that uh, Abel offered up a better sacrifice, you know, by faith I mean, uh, Noah built a boat by faith. Abraham, I mean, the list goes on and on. Abraham went out from what was familiar and uh, went into a land they didn't even know that God was going to show him. He did it all. All this was done by faith. So Hebrews eleven six says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So since it is that important and faith is critical, then I want to spend some time talking about faith. We Several weeks ago, um, I talked about faith, and let me give you a real quick review. And here's, here's one of the lines out of that. The word read is the word revealed. When we read the Bible, it's revealed to us. We see things. However, the word spoken or the word declared is the word empowered. Now, you've heard me say this for many years. Pastor J.R. Ruiz said this originally probably about nine years ago standing here when he made this comment that stuck with a lot of us that were around then, and it is, it is burned into my spirit. And he said this, the word works, but you have to work the word. The word works. We know the word works. The Bible works. God's word is true. It works, but we have to work the word. So even though we're given a tool, you still have to operate the tool can be given the keys to the car, but you still got to use the keys to drive the car. So the word works, and there's a lot of people who, who know Bible, they read the Bible, they own a bunch of Bibles, they've got one in the glove box of their car, got one in the back seat of their car, they got one on their nightstand, they got one by the toilet, am I the only human in the room? They've got them everywhere, Bibles everywhere, and yet, if we don't work the word, then it's, it's not empowered. It's just the Bible. And I know a lot of really mean people that know a lot of word. I know a lot of religious people who know Bible, but they don't work the word. It's not working in them, and they are not working that word. So the word spoken and declared is the word empowered. And we empower the word by speaking and declaring the word with faith and our authority and understanding who we are. And that's just a quick review of some of the things we've covered in the past. Tonight, I want to talk about this. A faith that works is a faith that is tested. And I want you to know, if you are going to step out in obedience and do anything by faith, anything, that faith will be tested. And while you're rebuking the devil all day long, God's going, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute, I might have a part of this. So I want to I talk a little bit about that tonight because it's important to understand that some of the weight and pressure you are feeling right now and bearing may be a God test. It might just be a God test. And the interesting thing about his tests is they're pretty much pass or fail. Now, when I was in college, I always enjoyed those courses. 
I like the pass or fail moments. It's like, oh, wow, okay, all right. I don't have to make 100. I don't have to make a 98 to maintain my GPA. It's a pass or fail. So, so I kind of knew where that line was, where that boundary was, and it was a little bit easier. But here's the deal. It was do or die. And it's interesting about a pass or fail kind of test. In, in, in when we talk about the economy of God and the kingdom of God, here's how a pass or fail works. If you pass, you get to go on to the next level and take the next test because there will always be a test. God always tests his work. And then if you fail the test, though, here's the deal. You get to retake. That mountain that you were going around that was so horrible and unbearable and terrible, if you do not pass the test, if you do not respond rightly to what God is doing in your life, then you will go back around that mountain. And there's a lot of folks been circling the same mountains for a lot of years. Why? Because they're having to do retakes. Retakes. Now, once you pass, you're moving on. But there's a lot of retaking going on. Can I get an amen? This is bear witness with anybody besides me. All right. James chapter 1. Let's read this. Verses 1 through 8. I'm going to look up on the screen. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. The dispersion, it was literally the disparia is what it was called. And, and what had happened, a persecution had come, and all of those new disciples and believers that had been birthed out of Pentecost, and then in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius, all of them had been dispersed out all over, the, and it was through persecution by which they were dispersed. And so he's referring to those 12 tribes that have been scattered all over the place because God's going to get his word out one way or other. You're either going to go or he's going to get you to go. He will get his word out. He will, he will get missions happening one way or the other. And if we don't do it willingly, it'll happen unwillingly. But he will get you where you need to be. Can I get an amen? He says this, the 12 tribes, he's referring to those 12 tribes of Israel. And if you'll remember, Jesus picked how many disciples? 12, to represent, to represent, all right? And let's keep moving. He says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, how many of you know that's much easier said than done? The word read is a word revealed, but the word declared, spoken, lived out, that's a whole other thing. So let's keep going. For you know that the testing of your faith, someone say the testing, you need to understand something. God is always going to test our faith. Always. There will be a test. There will be an exam. Anybody ever heard a professor say that? There will be a test. There will be a quiz. You will be tested for what you're learning, what you know. You know that the testing of your faith, it does something, it produces and, and several translations say it in different ways, and we'll look at those in just a minute. But it says in this translation, this is the ESV, it says it produces steadfastness. Okay, let's keep going. And let steadfastness have its full effect. I love the way it says that. Have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete. That word perfect means mature. It means whole. That you may be mature whole and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's keep going. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. There's a caveat to this. He says ask, but here's how you are to ask. There's, there's more to it than just, okay, God, give me some wisdom. 
Look what it says. Let them ask in faith. There's that faith word again. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive what? Anything from the Lord. Double-mindedness. He says he is a double-minded man. Double-minded means two-spirited. You're on two whole different planets. Double-minded, back and forth, unstable in all his ways. Someone say stable makes you able. All right, all right. Now I want to go back and pick up a couple of things in this, and I want to pray over this. We're also going to look at this in the message, and I want to pray over this. Father, in Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you, Lord, to speak to us through the word tonight. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, our spirits, our minds, that we may comprehend, that we may understand, Father. We want to be people who don't just say that we're people of faith, but we are people who have corresponding action with our faith, that we have faith that's activated, not just faith that's information or head knowledge. So, Lord, may we be found faithful, full of faith. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Randall, do you have the message translation of this? All right, the message. Now, I love the message. It's the message, it's, it's actually a paraphrase. Translation is probably not a good word. It's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson is a pastor, and he wanted to take the Scriptures and write it into a very casual, colloquial form uh, that, that his kids could understand, that his church members could understand. So he just he began taking the Scripture and basically writing it out as in a narrative story type of way, very casual. And here's, I love, he started with just a few uh, chapters, and then he expanded it to a whole book, and then he ended up expanding it to the whole New Testament, and then eventually did the whole Bible. And so uh, he writes this. Uh, this is his, his uh, paraphrase, so to speak. I, James, am a slave of God and the Master Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to the to kingdom come. Hello. Consider it a sheer gift. I love his language here. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Does anyone ever feel that way? Feel like you're kind of catching it from all sides? That we, we kind of throw that out there. It says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. We always say we leak out what we're full of. It's, it's when there's pressure, whatever's there will come out. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. In other words, what he's saying here is there's a full process. And if you cut off the process and you quit too soon, then you will not be fully developed. It's kind of like a, a cicada coming out of its shell a little bit early. Anybody ever have those? Man, I grew up in West Texas, and they were everywhere at certain times of the year. I mean, our trees would be crawling with these things. And you remember cicada killers? They look like big, nasty wasps, but they're pretty harmless. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, these things would, I mean, it'd be like a war in the war zone in the backyard. And, and we'd get out there with our BB guns and shoot these cicadas all day long. These, these locusts, we call them, and they're actually cicadas. But what they do is they, they have this little shell 
that they come out, and it's a brown shell. They come up out of the ground, and then you can see them crawling slowly up a tree. And then they, they stop, and they sort of plant themselves, and then the back splits open. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm the, oh, okay, a few of you, all right. The back splits open, and these things begin to come out of their, of their shell. And it always looks, I don't know if you ever watch them, but they're struggling, and they're, they're, it's like everything they can do, and they're, they're wet and wrinkly, and their wings are all, all wrinkled up and crinkled because they're stuffed in this little shell. And then what happens is once they finally get out and get free, and they begin, their wings begin to dry out, and they begin to, to just expand, and then, then they're full, you know, they're, they're cicadas. And then you shoot them with BBs. I mean, you know, it's what we did as kids. We're just like, like Terminator out in the backyard. But what would happen, I noticed, is that ever, sometimes we, we'd give them a little help. We'd take one of the cicadas, and we'd see one starting to come out of its shell. We'd peel that shell, shell back and then get it out a little bit too quick. You know what would happen to those cicadas? Their wings would never fully develop. They just stay crinkled up. Now, I didn't understand that. Now, I'm like, that's weird. We're trying to help them, and that's not helping. And what I found out later is that it's actually the struggle. It's actually them having to force their way out of that shell that pushes all of the stuff, juice, I don't know what it is, all the stuff through their wings that actually causes their wings to fill out and get all the nutrients and everything it takes to produce those wings and make them come to into a full full blown wing but you you interrupt the process prematurely then we have this don't try to get out of anything prematurely on another note don't try to get other people out of things prematurely i know as a pastor it's a real temptation for me when i see somebody struggling when I see somebody going through something, the, the compassion, the empathy in me wants to get in there and help them. Get, and I'm telling you, I have to be so discerning and so tuned into the Holy Spirit because there have been many times when I've gone to help and God said, stop. Don't. And on one hand, that sounds real harsh because you're like, I think I know the answer. I think I, I think I could get them some help. I think I, I think... And there have been many, countless times in the years I've been doing this where the Holy Spirit literally has told me not to do it. Now, I end up looking like the bad guy because I can get in there and do everything. But at the end of the day, you listen and you obey because God's working on something. And if I got in there and if you get in there and we interrupt that process too quick, then they do not become mature. They are premature. And, you know, it's only been in recent years that we could take care of a premature baby. I mean, in years past, preemies didn't last. They didn't live. They didn't make it. It's only been in the last century that we've even been able to, to have the technology. Our grandbabies were born premature, and, and if it was not for technology, they would not have made it. Too quick, too soon. So it says this, so don't try to get out of anything too soon. And don't try to get others out too soon. If Unless God tells you to go in, then you go in. Guns blazing. You go in and do what you got to do. It says, let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed. Like those cicadas, those wings, they have to go through all that struggle. They have to. The struggle is what produces development in them. Not deficient in any way. 
If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. In other words, God's not going, no, you're, you're not a favorite. Uh, you are. You're, oh, you're better than them. That isn't how God operates. He doesn't condescend to that. Look what it says. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. It says this, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. In other words, I believe, but I've got A, B, and C here just in case that doesn't work out. Or I've got a trap door here just in case this doesn't work out. I've got this, this to fall back on. The Lord speaks in terms of there's a time to step out and say, this is where I'm going. I'm going after God, period. And you burn the ships behind you. Amen? All right, let me pull some things, lift some things out. And before I do that, I want to tell you about my granddad, Macon Sims. My granddad, Macon Sims, grew up in uh, east, deep east Texas and Louisiana. And why, when I say grew up in deep east Texas and Louisiana, he grew up running moonshine across the borders of Louisiana and Texas. What can I say? I come from a great heritage, all right? I mean, they ran, they ran uh, stills back in the hills and back, in, back out in the, in the boonies, and then they ran, they ran alcohol all over the place. So eventually he, he got a respectable job, and he became a cabinet maker. And so the granddad I knew was not the one who ran moonshine back in the day. The granddad I knew was the man who was an artist and a craftsman. And knew how to work with wood. And, and, and I grew up with my grandparents close, which that's not so common anymore. But I literally, our family typically lived on the same property or the same block. I was taking, taking Rachel and Annette around some old stomping grounds in Lubbock. And I said, well, we lived there. My cousins lived on this house. And then, then, we, then we bought this house and sold this house to my cousins. And then my grandparents moved into this house. And it was four houses in a row. And, and Mrs. Bush lived in between us. And if she sold us her property, we'd have probably bought that house and moved to some other family in there. But that was the culture. I mean, I grew up that way with family always tight, very, always around, very close. And so I got to grow up watching my, my granddad and my uncles and watching what they did for a living. And I spent the majority of my childhood hanging around a cabinet shop. That's what they did. And so wood tools and the smell of wood and sawdust, I mean, I just grew up that way. Go to the next picture, Randall. My granddad would make things that, now this isn't one he produced, but I growing up, I watched him produce furniture like this on an ongoing basis, and my uncle James as well. And I wa- and, and it was this was just normal life for me. And, and then I got to where, as I got a little older, I'd help out some. I'd I'd stain, or I I would do some of the sanding and some of the the stuff. They'd never let me get around the saws. My granddad had several fingers. He had nubs on several fingers because he had cut them off with band saws and table saws through the years. And so he had like half of his fingers, but that was just the mark of his trade, and <laughs> that was just the way it was. And so he would produce works like that. And to him, you know, he, I'd see a hunk of wood, and I'd go, oh, man, I could take a couple of nails, and I could build a little 
little battleship out of it. But my granddad would see a piece of wood and he'd see a piece of furniture. He would he would envision what it could be. And uh, and he did that for years. So I grew up in a cabinet shop with the smell of that, and the sound of, of saws running. And I mean, that was just that was how I grew up seeing carpentry and seeing artistry and craftsmanship. And it was it was really a neat way to grow up. And, and it was like a playground for me. And let's go to the next picture. And this is kind of a kind of a, a reenactment of an older style uh, carpentry scene or setting where hand planing wood with a, with an old hand plane blade, and so they they would hand plane everything. Now, by the time my my granddad did have a whole bunch of those hand you know and they would hand plane things, but he also had all the you know machinery and tools. But back in the day, in Jesus' time in first century, everything was literally done by hand. Everything. Everything. And so those that were carpenters by trade in the first century were actually very strong. Sometimes some of the pictures you see of Jesus, he looks like a 90-pound weakling. But uh, more than likely, growing up working with wood, it was all done by hand. Everything. Sawing. Everything was done by hand. There was no, no machinery to speak of. Everything they did, they did themselves. Wood that was cut and planed and shaped was all done by hand. So carpenters were actually very lean, very stout, very strong by nature just by growing up in that environment. And Jesus grew up as a carpenter, as a master craftsman. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is, is what I always watched my granddad do is that as he was building something, every time he would, I remember the, the smell of that wood glue. He would take that wood glue and he'd put it on and then he would, then he would put down and he had these dowels that he'd put in there that, that he had drilled out and then he'd nail it together and then he would always test his work. Always. Every, now, here's the deal. He didn't wait till he was finished to put pressure on it. He didn't wait till he had that cabinet. Go back to that cabinet, Randall. He didn't wait until it had been stained out, sanded, varnished, I mean, covered. He didn't, he didn't wait until it was at that point to put weight on it. Every piece he put together, assembled, every joint he made, he put pressure or weight on it. Every joint. And if it didn't pass his test, he'd have to redo it. And this is the nature of God. This is the character of God. Let me tell you something about everything that you do as a believer, as a child of God, as you walk out the walk of faith. There's a reason this is called the faith. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by their faith. Your faith will be tested. It already said that. Count it all joy when your faith is tested. Your Faith will be tested all along the journey. He will not wait until it is completed to test it. It will be tested all along the way, every step of the way. So about the time you get an assignment from God. Now, now when I say an assignment from God, I'm not talking about you get a contract with a checklist. I'm talking about you get a nudge. You get an impression. You get a feeling. You get a sense. You get a knowing in your knower that you're supposed to do something. And it's going to take some faith. It's going to take you stepping out. It's going to take you reaching out of your zone. It's going to take you going to a different place. But you know it's God. And so you step out in it, and then you get opposition. You get resistance. You know what that is? It's weight. You know what that is? It's pressure. And you know what it's doing? It's producing. Go back to our text, Randall, if you would, in the ESV. 
Go back to verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Go to verse 3. For you know, look at this, that the testing, someone say the testing. Now, the testing always involves pressure and weight. When a joint is mitered, it's put together, it's nailed, it's glued, it's dowled, all that, then the pressure comes. The pressure comes, and it has to pass the test. If it passed the test, then he continues on with the piece. If it doesn't pass the test, he's got to do it all over again. He's got to redo it. It may have to be recut. It may be a different piece of wood. It may be that even the grain of the wood, or there may have been a knot in there. It could have been something irregular that didn't let it work, but it has to be redone. And sometimes we're going through a season like, gosh, I feel like I've been here before a hundred times. Why is that? It's because we're not passing the test. The weight and the pressure is breaking us, breaking us, breaking us until we can pass the test. So look what happens. It says the testing of your faith does something. It produces. It produces. And when I see a cabinet like that, it's a product. It's been produced because every joint's been tested. Every hinge, every piece of that has been tested so that it may bear weight. We got to build a house several years ago, and we don't live in that house now, but we built a house, and in that house, we wanted to build a big kitchen area. And Some of you have been able to be at that house, and it wasn't an island. It was a continent. I mean, you know, most islands, you know, three foot by, by four. This was four foot by nine foot, and it was all one piece of granite. And I happened to be there, out there at the property, the day the granite guys brought that that four-foot by nine-foot slab of granite. And I didn't realize how heavy that slab of granite would be. It was massive. It was thick. And so I drove up about the time they were getting ready to wheel it into the house on this big dolly. They'd gotten it on this dolly. And they were dying. And, and they saw me come up, and they were like, can you help? They didn't know who I was. I was like, yeah, I'll help. So I got in there, and, man, we, we worked this big piece in there. And we got in there to where the base, and the base looks similar to that, but imagine the base being basically three and a half feet by probably seven feet because it had an overhang on the end. And I looked at that piece of wood, and I looked at that piece of granite, and I had helped manhandle that piece of granite. I'm like, I don't know if that is going to hold that. I don't know if we've thought this all through. Will that piece of furniture bear the weight of hundreds and hundreds? I don't know how much it weighed. It was ridiculous. And it took everything we had to get that piece of granite up off of that dolly and up onto the top of that thing. They didn't have to glue it down or anything. I mean, it was there. It's there for it. It will be there, you know, until Jesus comes. It'll be there. It is so massive. But that that piece of furniture that the cabinet guys had built, which looks similar to that actually, had to be so reinforced and so strong. And when we were talking to the guy about it he kept saying okay we're going to reinforce that we're going to reinforce this we're talking hundreds if not thousands of pounds on here we're going to read every i mean it was like, like a bomb shelter but every piece of it was tested along the way and you right now whatever you're into right now whatever you are doing right now as you are walking out your life you are being tested right now and the way you respond to the test will dictate whether you pass or fail. I talked to a young man on the phone today, 
who is new to ministry. He has a, he believes he's called to ministry. He's been serving in a church, and I've kind of been sort of coaching, mentoring, helping him, and I've seen a lot. He's got he's got some blind spots. You know, all of us, as Kevin York says, have cliffs and gaps. He's got some big cliffs and big gaps, but he loves Jesus, and he's trying. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. Really, he's got more enthusiasm than anything, but but not a lot of not a lot of grace to go along with that enthusiasm. And he called me today, and 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 we were talking, and and he just got fired from his position yesterday, and I knew it was coming. I knew I knew it was going to happen, and so. He called me today, and, and, and he had, listen to this, he had the most amazing attitude. And so I said to him, I said, I called him by name, and I said, how are you doing today after what happened yesterday? He said, here's the deal. He said, I'm called to this family. He said, I don't need a position. He said, I'm called to this thing. You know what my first thought was? Because this was on my mind. He's passing the test. He's pa- I said, that is a great attitude. And then I said to him, I said, do you know that I talked with your pastor and, and the other people involved in this? I already knew this was coming. And we all said, depending on how you respond to this, will tell us what's in you. And I said, I want you to know good things are coming out of you right now. And I said, you know, you're going to have a human moment in it. You're going to grieve. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to think it wasn't fair. But, but you're, you're, you're leaking the right things. And I thought, this young man's passing the test. Now, what will happen when he passes the test? Promotion. Movement. The next thing. The next level. How many of you here really do want to go to another level in your life? How many of you really want to go to the next level spiritually? I mean, if you find yourself just content and satisfied right there where, where you're at and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I, I know higher levels mean bigger devils, so I don't think I want to. I'm just going to be okay here. I'm going to camp out right here in this spot. Let me just say something about the kingdom. There, there is no stagnation. There is no stopping point. There is no Denmark in the kingdom. There is no neutral in the kingdom. You're either moving forward and hitting test after test after test, or you are moving backwards. There is no sitting still. And so we have to have this mindset of always want to be growing, always want to be learning, always want to be developing. Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? Lord, I want to steward well where I'm at so that I can be positioned for promotion. Because I want to go to the next level, the next place. So what do we do? We, we, when our faith gets tested and we pass the test, it produces steadfastness. Now, I want to show you out of several translations. I just, I just got on version and just looked at all the different ways that it, that it reads. And listen to this. God's testing his weight and his pressure produce these things. In the New King James Version, it says it produces patience. In the ESV, which we just saw, it produces steadfastness. Man, that stability, that ability to, to, it's the heart of a champion is what I think in steadfast. Steadfast is that person that keeps going, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Anybody remember those commercials? Handful of you, okay. It, 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 just, it keeps going no matter what. 
it just keeps going. I always remember the one where they put the Timex watch on the bow of the boat, and it's, you know, take, keep, you know takes a licking and keeps on ticking. That steadfastness keeps going no matter what. Keeps going no matter what. Hits an obstacle, keeps going no matter what. Gets knocked off track, finds its feet, and keeps going, all right? Keeps moving. That's steadfastness. In the New American Standard Bible, it's endurance. Weight and pressure produces the ability to endure. I went and worked out this morning. I'm like jello right now. But here's the deal. I am bearing more weight and pressure on my body physically so that I can bear more weight on my body physically. Lifting weights causes you to be able to bear more weights. And so, so it produces endurance. Weight and pressure produce Endurance, the ability to endure, the ability to keep going. It produces perseverance. The, the idea of perseverance is, is the ability to pursue and go after no matter what's happening. You do not stop. In football, Coach Highsmith, it was always, I was a secondary guy, so it was always keep your feet moving. Never be caught standing still. Always move. Always, always. And the big eye in the sky never lied, right, Coach? On Saturday morning, they saw the game field. That boy, if they saw you standing, it never lied. It always caught you. And if you were caught standing still, sure enough, that's why you got your your lights put out. That's why you were caught off guard. That's why you got beat deep. It's because you didn't keep your feet. You didn't persevere. You didn't keep your feet moving. You didn't persevere. Let me tell you that all about the kingdom. It's always about movement. And you know, even in rest, we move. Rest doesn't mean laying in a hammock in the kingdom. Waiting on God doesn't mean you kick back, you know, on a barca lounger. Waiting on God in the kingdom means you're always moving. You're always leaning. You're always mo- There's always momentum toward. There's always movement. Jesus, his whole life was moving towards the cross. Knowing what was beyond it, he always kept moving toward it. He didn't stop. That's called perseverance. Persevere. Weight and pressure produce, I love this one, out of the Orthodox Jewish Bible of all things, patient endurance. Patient endurance. I love that. When they put those two together, think about what that's saying. I'm enduring, but I'm patient because I know there's something out there, but it's not right now, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to endure because I'm wait. something's there. And let me tell you something about your faith being tested. It may be five tests before you get to the finished product. It may be 20. It may be two. We just don't know. But this I do know. God is working something out in us. He's working it out. He's doing something so deep. Can I get an amen? Listen to this, just a statement. God does not cause all the pain, torment, and suffering that we experience. Can I get an amen there? Because it's easy to get in that, that fatalistic idea of, well, then, uh, then, then God's causing suffering. He's causing and creating it because he's building something. But let me, let me show you something. However, look at this. God does not cause all the pain, torment, and suffering that we experience. However... He has no problem using the naturally occurring events that we encounter to grow and develop us. All right, I'm glad you had that on the screen. Let's go back to the first part of that, can you, Randall? 
God does not cause all the pain, torment, and suffering that we experience. Does God cause some? I'm telling you, if you read the record of the Bible, he caused some pain. Don't get in your mind that he's just the Lamb of God. He's also the Lion of Judah. There's another side. And when God led Jesus into the desert, some pain got caused. When he drove Elijah into the desert, when Jezebel came after him, some pain happened. I mean, pain happened, folks. And when we get in this idea, this utopian mentality, that to follow Jesus means everything's going to be okay, we've, that's not the gospel. That's another gospel, but it's not the gospel of this word. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sorry to inform you, but that's the truth. There will be pain. There is ebb and flow. Amen? Mountain and valleys. That's life. But it's how we respond to that and what we learn and glean out of that. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for a product. He's producing something, and he will use it. And I love the fact that he'll use the enemy's attempt to destroy. He'll use the enemy like a pawn in a chess game to work things out of us. God doesn't cause all the pain, torment, and suffering that we experience. Notice I was careful. I I didn't put a limiter on that. However, he has no problem using the naturally, I should have written, and supernaturally occurring because there is a real devil who really hates you, and there are assignments on your life. And to think that you were not born into a world of war is naive. You were born into spiritual warfare as well as natural warfare that that we see in our world today. There's spiritual warfare occurring even in this moment right here, in this moment, in this atmosphere we're in. So it's using the naturally and supernaturally occurring events that we encounter to do this, to grow and develop us. He will use everything. Somebody wrote today, I just put a little tidbit on Facebook, and somebody posted basically saying, well, I don't understand the stuff I'm going through, and I don't know what they're going through. Just random person, I don't even know. And I wrote back and simply said, I'm not saying God caused whatever you're experiencing, but here's what I do know. Everything I've experienced, the worst things that ever happened to me, that I would have to say, I don't see God causing any of that. It was horrible, it was wrong, it was unjust. But let me tell you something, I got something out of every experience. And when you have the ability to count it all joy in the midst of, you can take anything that comes your way and you can see God working it. You can see God using it. And that that, that cliche of there's a silver lining in every cloud, hey, I'm just naive enough to believe it, that whatever comes, you can find something in it. My brother got hit, nearly killed when he was seven years old in Lubbock, Texas, outside of Santa Land. And, and, I mean, it looked like what could have been the most, I mean, it was almost over for him. And yet it set up a series of events where God got glorified and people began to pray with me on site as my brother's laying there with his leg wrapped around his back. And I didn't know if he was going to live. And I'm standing there as a, as a kid not knowing anything, and God sent two a couple up to me, pulled me into a stall at Orlando's Pizza Italian place right there on Avenue Q in Lubbock, and just prayed over me, and they sowed the seeds of the gospel into me. And that was the first time I heard 
faith being spoken, being declared. And I was, I was in a shattered state, and God showed up. I didn't get saved that night, but oh boy, did I ever get leaned toward. I mean, God began to work something in me, and seeds were planted in my life in the midst of a tragedy. When my mom passed away at the age of 45, a college student at Howard Payne, I get the call, drive to Lubbock. We're with her for about a month, and then she, as she's in the hospital, hooked up to unbelievable stuff. And, and we don't know if she's going to make it hour by hour, hour by hour. We're in that room, out of that room. We're praying. My brother, I get to walk him down to the chapel at, at, United, at the Methodist Hospital in Lubbock, Texas, which is now Covenant. And they had a chapel in there, and I got down on my knees with my brother, and I got to lead him to Jesus. My mom died at 45 years of age. I'm 49. I'm on borrowed time. Every day's a gift as far as I'm concerned. But my brother got born again. My mom was responsible for his births, natural and spiritual. It was a terrible thing. It's hard to lose your mom at that age. We were close because my dad was nowhere to be found. So, I mean, mom was it for us. And then we lose her. But in the midst of that horrible tragedy, my brother gets born again. God is there. God's in it. I can see it. But let me tell you something. You sometimes have to have the eyes of faith to see God in that situation. And you have to look for him. And you have to persevere and endure and be steadfast and have patient endurance. And you've got, you've got to say, I know you're in here somewhere, God. I know you're. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach for you. And I'm going to pursue you in the middle of it, no matter what it looks like or feels like in the moment. And I will. It's almost like that woman with the issue of blood. I will get a hold of the hem of your garment. And I'll knock everybody out of the way to get there because if I don't, what's the alternative? Take the test again? Go back around the mountain? No, no, no. I've seen enough of Mount Horeb. I, I know that trail. I've worn a path around that thing. I'm going forward. I'm moving forward. Anybody hearing me here tonight? Romans 8, 28 is not just some cliched verse. It is a word of truth that is powerful. Do you have that, Randall? Romans 8, 28. You got it there, champ? Pull it up when you get it. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, I just know it. We know that God, or in the ESV it says it this way, and we know that for those who love God, do we have anybody who loves God in here tonight? For those that love God, look what it says. All things work together for good. All things. Not some things. Not just the good stuff. All things. What happened at ACU this last weekend is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I cried. I grieved. I, it, it hit me hard. Sunday was tough for me. It was just hard. The loss of life, I just the tragedy of all everything involved in that. And yet I know, <laughs> here's what I know. Here's what I know. This isn't just what I think, this is what I know. That God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God will be glorified. God will impact lives. God will 
turn things. Does that lessen the tragedy of the moment? No, it's a tragedy is a tragedy. It is what it is. But God, in the midst of that, will work. And somebody's destiny will be changed. Somebody's life will be redefined. Somebody's family tree will get changed because of that event and how God will use things out of that event. Because that's the nature of God, to take that which is twisted and broken and wrong and unjust and tragic and turn it. Because that's the kind of God we serve. And we walk by faith in that, believing that God is good all the time and all the time. Verse 4, let me just read it out of the New Living Translation. says, so let it grow. What's being produced, let it grow. In other words, let the process happen. Walk it out. Don't stop prematurely, as we read earlier. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, and that's the idea, we want to finish this thing. Because I don't know about you, I want to pass the test because I don't want to retake. What it says, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be mature, perfect. It means mature. You will be mature and complete, needing nothing. That's what God's walking us into, maturity, lacking nothing, needing nothing. Now, here's the joy. Here's the exciting part. When you pass this test, guess what? There's another one coming. It, we're we're going to keep going, but we never stop. We keep our feet moving. We never stop. We endure. We endure, and we grow. And every test that we pass, we're a little more mature. We're more complete. We need less. And spiritual codependence dies where you don't have to call somebody every time the bottom drops out. You start going, you know what? I think I'm just going to go to the Word on this. You know, I used to call my mentor. I used to call a person who disciples me. I used to call my life group leader. But I think I'll see what God says on this deal. Well, you know what that is? That's mature. That's when you start getting it. I told Annette on something. I said, I said we're going to run to the Word. We're going to run to the Word. We're going to run to this book. And this is where we'll find our answers. This is where we'll find what we need. We're going to run to the book, run to the Word. And that's how it works. Let's all stand together. I hope you've been encouraged tonight. Because let me tell you something. God's working on something in your life right now. He's producing something beautiful. Something amazing that that can support that big piece of granite. That can support that weight and that pressure. And you may think you're going to crumble. But oh, you're going to be able to support it. Because God's working on it. Because God's building it. Every joint, every Every miter, every corner he's building in you, he's testing, he's testing, he's testing. So here's what we do. Now, the count it all joy part, you know, just on the surface, that just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> okay, the bottom just dropped out of my life, and I'm supposed to be happy about it? No, no, no. Count it joy means you're looking for something that's substantial because joy is not an emotion. The, the real joy is something that's solid, it's based based on faith, it's based on the Word, it's based on your history in God, it's based on what you know to be true. That's what joy is based on. It's based on bedrock. And so it's out of that joy that you say, I don't know what this is going to come, I don't know what's going to happen here, but here's what I do know. I know I have a history in God, and He's been faithful. So He hasn't brought me this far to let me go. 
He's working it out. He's ordered my steps. He's delighting in the details. God is on the scene. I may not see him right now, and I certainly don't understand all the circumstances involved, but here's what I know. God's in it. And now I have now my responsibility is to reach for him. Find him in it. Find him because he's there. You just got to reach and you got to persevere. That's that endurance, patient endurance. Reach, grab, grab, and sooner or later you're going to get a hold of the hem of his garment. Oh, there he is. There. I knew he was there. And honestly, when you come to the point where when the bottom drops out and you have a moment, a life moment, and you have the maturity and the awareness to know you're in a moment, it's like literally being in a dream and you suddenly realize you're in a dream. You know what I'm talking about? You're in a dream and now, now you're aware. I'm, oh, wait, I'm dreaming. I'm actually, wow, I can go berserk. I'm, I'm in a dream. I mean, I can do whatever I want because I'm in a dream. That awareness, and that's, a, that's an odd thing, and every once in a while that happens to me and I'll have this sudden awareness, this isn't real, this is a dream. I'm in a dream. That's what this is. It's that awareness. I'm in a moment here. And what appears to be so bad, God's going to turn it for good. When you're aware at that level, it changes everything. And suddenly you start passing every test, every test, every test. How many of you here are ready to pass some tests? Because that mountain gets ugly. It just looks the same. You know, just going around and around and around. Let me pray for you.